Okay, welcome to another episode of Out of Character with Jupiter Sanders. Today, we're going to talk about lore. And I've brought, or I've asked to join me, my friend, Nate. Nate is a person I met in a living community, and he writes extensively about his character in that community, a lot of short story fiction. He was also involved in developing the meta plot for the living community. So he's very much the the writer and the the plot guy, and he's he and I have had many conversations about lore. Nate is also, if you're listening to the Call of Cthulhu without a net Call of Cthulhu series, you may recognize his voice as Cookie's special friend. So welcome, Nate. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good. So as I mentioned, we've had this discussion before. Lore. Who needs it? So. Let's begin with just establishing what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about the lore in any system, correct? Yes, I believe so. Do you want me to just go ahead and kind of give a brief overview of yeah, what that sure. means to me? Uh-huh. So to me, lore is the all of the things that tie a setting together. You have your characters, of course, and they're going to be interacting in a world in a, uh, setting, whether that be established from previous worker if it's one that you're making up on your own the lore is what is going to give those characters and those events happening within the setting context which is very important whenever you're running an rpg or writing a book or what have you so there are some game systems for example DD, which has been around for 40 plus years the lore that that system alone has generated in fiction books in resource books, addition to addition to addition is extensive, right? You would agree? Oh, yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So to me, when I see a new person that wants to jump into play, let's just say D&D 5th edition, how much do they need to know, in your eyes, of that 40 plus year catalog of lore? If someone is just jumping in and they want to experience what D&D is like, uh, I would actually argue that just very little would be required for them to enjoy themselves. Just understanding that this is what a wizard is, this is what a paladin is, things like that. Giving them enough context to understand what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. As they get into the game, they can choose how much of the established lore they want to get into and how much of their own lore they want to come up with. Okay. Um, and if I'm wanting to run a game, I've been a player and I want to run a game, do I need to really educate myself on more of the lore or? It again depends on what you're working with. So say you are working with an established setting, since we're talking about D&D, let's say Faerun. If you were going to operate within that setting, then it would be important for you to understand the lore of that setting. That way you understand the rules of what you're dealing with. When I say rules, I don't necessarily mean like the mechanical rules that you get out of the player's handbook or whatever. I mean the rules of the setting itself. Uh, Whenever you understand that, it can help you create a better experience for the players, especially if those players understand that setting as well. You can create an experience that they'll be familiar with. They'll sort of know what to expect, but still be able to be surprised by you, the GM, and it'll make for a better experience overall. Okay, so you have to have an understanding, let's just say you decide to set your game in Faerun. Faerun has 70 plus books about it, fiction books, fiction works. Greenwood and Salvatore are prolific in their writing, to say the least. That's that's a lot of content to try to digest in order 
to know the setting and the, the world. Whereas I've always felt I don't need to, if I want to read these books, great, fine. But I don't really need to in order to run the game. Correct. A basic understanding is what you'd want to go in with. And from there, you can branch out as needed. If Could I use our experience in Shadowrun as a good example? Yeah, because this, I know when we've had these discussions before, your your position seems to have changed a little bit. It's not, I'm, I'm. I'm being the devil and an angel at the same time. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so this is this is kind of where I'm coming from. Whenever you're working with a setting, uh-huh. it's important at the very get go for you to establish what it is that you want to do. So, let's say that we're operating in the Shadowrun universe. Mm-hmm. Our experience was on a Shadowrun LC, and we were very hard nosed to the mm-hmm. lore in the setting. The reason being is that we sort of treated that living community almost like a business not like we profited off of it at all oh no no we did but not. we did not <laughs> but we treated the players within the community as our customers and as mm-hmm. such those customers had an expectation that they were going to come and play a Shadowrun game mm-hmm. to me your experience with me and when it comes to lore and things like that i was very hard-nosed about that and that was for that very specific reason is that we had pitched to our players that we were going to be operating within the Shadowrun universe which meant mm-hmm. that we needed to stay as true to the Shadowrun universe as humanly possible. If it was a private table game mm-hmm. uh, where I was just running Shadowrun or any setting, really, for a group of friends, you would see that get a little bit flexible really fast. Mm-hmm. In fact, the D&D game that I run with our mutual friend, Manti, I told him at the very get-go, we play street D&D, so like, don't <laughs> be surprised when uh, unexpected things happen. So mm-hmm. the point that I'm trying to make with all this is that the importance of lore is highly, highly dependent on what it is that you're going for. If you're going to be operating within an established setting, I would say that lore is quite important. You need to have at least a basic understanding of the setting before you get into it. If you're going to just borrow elements of a setting, then it's less important because then mm-hmm. you can kind of fill in the gaps that you're leaving behind with the lore that you want. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I'm happy to, to hear you, you say that. So I guess it was just the constraints of the LC that you said, no, 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 it has to be. We have to know lore. It was absolutely that. And perhaps at the time of our initial discussions, that wasn't made perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. My interest in staying so hard-nosed to the lore was specifically because we had customers, with quotation mm-hmm. marks, who had certain expectations. Uh you know, I would argue, though, that those customers also probably didn't know the lore very well, and no matter what we delivered, as long as it was fun, would have been fine. They probably, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they and would like, have been like, okay. <laughs> the longer that I've operated within that capacity, it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about, so in researching for this episode, I had actually looked to see like, well, you know, what do other people think about lore? And I actually ran across one person that made a post on Reddit that was saying that the D&D Dark Suns, Dark mm-hmm. Sun, that system, that they really like that system. It's like a John Carter-esque world, Frazetta, Frank Frazetta arc. And in his head, he had built what that setting was, but he didn't know the setting from its actual written lore. So he felt like he couldn't play the game because he didn't read any of the lore. And I was like, that makes zero sense why somebody would feel that way, especially since, as far as I know, there's no like lore police that are going to knock on your door and tell you, why are you playing the system? You don't know the lore. (laughs) So 
it sounds almost like I'm, I'm not going to accuse this redditor of doing this, but it almost looks mm. like he did what I've done in the past, which is look at the really cool artwork for something <laughs> and be like, oh, I want to play with that. That's actually how I got into Shadowrun is that I saw this artwork of this mm -hmm. cyberpunk with elves and orcs and stuff. And I was like, I really would like to, to know more about that. But then mm -hmm. I read about the setting. I don't think that you need to have intimate knowledge of a setting in order to run it. You know, as mm -hmm. you mentioned before, there's dozens, if not hundreds of books on established settings, and it would be impractical to expect people to read all of them before they dip their toe into a specific one. I would again go back to saying that it depends on what you want to deliver. If you want to deliver a, a game that is 100% true to the setting, then yes, that intimate knowledge of the setting is going to be important. The understanding of the lore, the rules that hold that setting together is going to be critical if that's what you want. If you look at the cool pictures and you want to set a game in a cool-looking Frank Frazetta post-apocalyptic magic-style setting, you just kind of want to base it off of that and fill in the gaps where you are, then that's fine too. As long as you, as the GM, or even if you're not the GM, as long as the GM and the players are okay and they understand what they're getting going in, that mm -hmm. way the surprises that come later are few and far between. I think if everybody has the more or less agreed upon definition of the sandbox they're in, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be fine. Now, you mentioned just looking at art got you into Shadowrun. So let's look at let's look at it from a different way. Aliens just dropped an RPG the end of last year in mm -hmm. December. Aliens. I love Aliens. I love the movies. I watch them all over and over again. I love them. To me, I know the lore. It's done. I've I watched the movies. Of course, I know everything about aliens. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go with it. But that's not true, <laughs> is it? Is it's it? Not. It's not. There's probably how many more layers of lore for aliens. But if you have a group of players and they all saw the movies and they're like, yeah, we know aliens, we can play. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. But then what if we have this one person, let's say like you, who's like, no, 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 there's so much more to aliens. And I know other people that can tell me way more lore about aliens than I've, I've, I have no idea where you're getting this information from. It's not in the movies. You know? Sorry. Mm. So it doesn't exist if it's not in the movies. That's fine, too. That's fine, uh, too. But it, it is. There's, no, no, there's just seems to be there's many layers. And if you have a true fan, they're really going to dig in deeper into those layers of lore, which could skew off your, your whole table if you have one player that is going on a deep dive. So in that situation, I would recommend that if you do have a player that, or a GM or whoever, who is that kind of person who is so entrenched in the established lore that they have a difficult time breaking from it, first off, a conversation with them about it would be the first step. You know, everyone else has seen the movies. That's the lore to them. Just ask them point blank, you know, are you able to separate what you know from the books and just relegate it to what you know from the movies? And, you know, because... The kind of person that you're talking about, as far as the rest of the players are concerned, the people who have seen the movies and they're like, oh, I know the lore, that's going to be most of the people that you're going to be interacting with if you're talking about a setting. Like mm -hmm. if I go and I talk to somebody about Star Wars, just any random person, they probably know about Star Wars. They've probably seen the movies or aliens in this case. They've probably seen the movies. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be the experience that they're going to have. The deeply entrenched lore master is going to be the less encountered person. If you have someone who is like that and they're so deeply entrenched, I would recommend using them as a resource if they feel like they can't break away from the uh, entrenchment to just focus on the movies and mm -hmm. little by little have them help expand the 
setting, uh, or excuse me, the understanding of the setting and the lore to the other players. So mm -hmm. you all start a game and four out of five of you just know the movies. Well, you have the one person who knows everything about everything uh, <laughs> with aliens. If they're up for it and they can do it in a nice and calm manner without going down the rabbit hole too many times, get them to help expand the setting knowledge. Get them to help the other players better understand the different aspects of whatever setting it is that you're operating in. Okay, so I'll switch gears back to D and D mm -hmm. again. I've I've read some of the books. I've read some Greenwood. I've read some Salvatore. I've, I've read some of them, and they're good. But I don't translate what happens, like the events that happen in those books. I don't translate that into well. When I sit down at a table and play D and D, all of the things that occurred in those books have happened when I'm at my table. I don't, I've never translated, like I've never taken it and put that in my table situation. Whenever I've sat at a table for D&D, &D, it's just completely building my own history and world using probably the same cities, the same maps as a mm -hmm. resource, but I'm making my own history or world. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, Dorden was in Waterdeep at this time. So obviously if we're in Waterdeep, there's a chance we might see him. No, that's never, ever, ever going to happen. No, like I, I just, so how many people do you think, how many GMs do you think are doing that? Like taking what they're reading in the books and actually going, yes, that's, that is our history. All the events that have happened in, in this book series have happened in our, in our world at our table. So you need to know these major points. I have one person that I play with that I know would be like that of all the people that I play with. That's probably the only one for dialing back to Shadowrun again. In our LC, we obviously use the established history of that setting to base the events and locations and people within our community. However, we, for the most part, used our own characters. We didn't have, you know, Harlequin or someone, you know, whoever popping up out of nowhere. We usually kept the named established NPCs out of it. So to go back to D&D &D, or to really any setting, it's not very often that I run into someone who, if they're going to run an established setting, they actually use like the history and the characters within the setting very hard-nosed like we did with the Shadowrun. Every once in a while, I might run into somebody, you know, throw in an, a named NPC from the established setting as like an Easter egg. But for the most part in my gaming experience, the norm is the person who borrows the setting and then creates their own iteration of it. Yeah, that's that's good. And and if you ever try to introduce a Harlequin, <laughs> I'd have vetoed that so hard. Talk about uh, a Mary Sue. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh. One of our uh, one of our mutual friends hates that NPC so much. Oh, it's, oh, <laughs> so hard. That is I can't even character. I can't even bring him up to her. It's like mm -mm. okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, I had a thought, and then we we derailed. We were derailed by Harlequin. Damn it! <laughs> it's up to that bastard, shit. right? Up to his usual pranks. So with so so you said you you're gonna make your own when you sit at a table you're basically borrowing the setting and you're building your own stuff. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's important then as you're at your own table and you're creating your own lore that somebody is keeping track of that? Yes, I generally I've gotten lucky with this in my last or excuse me my current D and D campaign is that the same guy that I was talking to you about who mm -hmm. would stay very hard nosed to the setting is also a meticulous note taker. So I don't even oh. take notes anymore. I just let him. Go. <laughs> 
he seriously has a, a notebook, but anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah, I think it's important that if you're going to, that was a joke, by the way, I actually take notes. <laughs> It, it is important that if you're going to come up with your own established setting or if you're going to borrow someone else's setting and put your own spin on it, it is good that whenever you start doing that to at least at the very outset kind of have a outline of what you want. And then as you go fill in the gaps of what you've changed, what you've altered, the stuff that you're keeping, et cetera, et cetera. That way you can keep consistency. Something that I ran into with my current D&D campaign when I started to make my own setting is that I made it far, far, far too large. Mm -hmm. I wanted to essentially take a previous campaign that I'd played in years ago, jump forward a few hundred years in the future and have elements from the original game come back in. So I had these established setting points that I was working around. From there, I wanted to expand and make this great big world. Well, I very, I say quickly, it actually took over a year. I found out eventually that I had started off very, very small and I got really, really big too quickly. Mm -hmm. And the sheer amount of stuff that I was trying to introduce to the players and do and show them, you know, have them have all these elements got so to be so much that it was really difficult to keep track of it. At this point in time, whenever I brought our buddy Manti over to the game, I let him know at the very outset, I jumped the shark on this setting like two months ago. So <laughs> I essentially told him, we're going to finish up this arc, we're going to do something on the side, and then we're going to do a soft reset of the setting and come mm -hmm. back to it. So to your original question, yes, taking notes is very, very important. If I had been a little bit better at that, for one, it helps you keep track of everything. And two, it can help you slow your roll because settings are big. Mm -hmm. Even if you're doing something small, there's so many things that you have to take into account and consider whenever you're creating one. So you want to make sure that you temper that creation with, you know, caution, pace it out. Don't try to take off more than you can chew. My recommendation, if you're going to do something like that, would be start out small and grow small. It's really exciting to think about all the stuff that you want to do later on in the game, but just try to stay within three or four sessions ahead. That's what I try to do typically. Mm -hmm. That way, you know, you're not going to overload yourself and overload your players with tons and tons of information. I had a friend. I had a friend that built campaign. He went in built an entire world, a country, uh, or a continent with several different countries, provinces, whatever, and complete with a history for each one, the key people, the government, the key people within those uh, countries, provinces, an economy, what their import exports were, what their, you know, basically their, their GDP, their, you know, wow. <laughs> what their coinage, what the, what currency they used, how it, you know, if you were to exchange with another country, what would be the exchange rate? We're talking like uh, so like fine details down to everything. And when I started playing this world with him, you would see he would get upset. And after the game, I was like, what's wrong? He goes, well, you guys were here and you never touched upon this. I put all this time putting that together and you guys never touched on it and i was like but i, I don't know what to tell you we're i mean i've Sorry. been a gm i've been a gm where pete where i've put work in and, and the players never touched it and i was like all right well i guess that was a wasted effort you know <laughs> but, i have thoughts on that oh what no go ahead and then no I'll... no what are your thoughts 
I was going to say, it's never a wasted thing. It's everything's always a learning opportunity. Even if you don't mm -hmm. use something, you still have it for later. And even yes. if it never comes up, yeah. you still created it. So it was, mm -hmm. regardless of what you do, it was a learning experience. True enough. And it, uh, whatever I have, yes, I can always, you know, recycle it, use it elsewhere in the campaign. But he was, he was like, he put in a lot of effort. He had a, like a book. We're talking like a big, thick journal book of notes and information and maps oh, yeah. drawn and ever like he built a world mm -hmm. but is he was he was I, that and i understand the effort in it is wonderful and i think it's great that he did it but i think it's a little i mean your players are never going to touch on every point that you've put in as a gm especially when you're world building so i think the other thing is he built it it was his not the tables. So mm -hmm. does that make, do you think that really makes a difference? They don't, the players won't really interact unless they're the ones kind of collaborating on the build? It No, I don't think that's true at all. I think that okay. you can be dropped into a setting where the rules and the lore is already established and you can still have fun as a player, living proof of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the hell out of my Shadowrun and I have little to do with the creation of its lore with the exception of what I've already done in it in our LC. So uh, if you have a GM or if you or really anybody is going to put in that much effort, mm -hmm. that's great. It's their prerogative. As a GM, you cannot be upset if your players don't touch on everything because while you have this meticulous creation, this thing that you've made, just like a, a, a citizen inhabiting an actual place, they're not going to know everything about where they live. They're not going to know everything about the world that they inhabit they're not going to interact with everything that's available to them like mm -hmm. i'm talking about like a person in real life in a oh, setting yeah. it's the same thing you're not your players are going to inhabit a world that you've created if you want to go that extra mile or extra hundreds of miles as it sounds like in in this person's case mm -hmm. and you want to establish the setting to that extent that's fine but you can't be frustrated whenever the players don't touch on that the players are going to react what you give to them so if you plop them in this setting and you show them this or you show them that or you push them this direction they're going to take those cues and they're going to follow that path and they're going to go in that direction so what they experience from your setting is going to be essentially what you give them and it will never be possible for you to give them everything talking about my dnd setting that i've made that has gone completely off the rails i made this big country it's it was this big continent and i'm going to preface this by saying like i am not an expert when it comes to like geography or like governments or anything like that i know enough to be dangerous uh, if you actually looked at the way that I designed this kingdom and you actually know anything about like kingdoms and governments, you would probably laugh your ass off at me. But anyway, so half of this country was essentially a civilized, industrialized setting. The other half of it was like this wild, untamed land. Um, they spent about three sessions in the civilized portion, got derailed by going to the Underdark for about five or six sessions. And then they popped up on the other side with like the wild country and stuff. And I was really excited about it because it was supposed to be like this wild west thing. And there were going to be like dinosaurs and stuff. I was very, very excited about this. Those of you who know my penchant for dinosaurs and shit like that will know <laughs> that, that this would have been like a huge deal. They spent maybe four or five sessions and interacted with exactly one dinosaur. So, you know, it, it was a bit of a bummer that 
that they didn't interact with all the stuff that I would have liked them to. Um, I kind of wanted them to, you know, go off on some side quests, but they were very singularly focused on what their mission was on that continent, that they just kind of bypassed everything. It'd be like if they were playing Skyrim or something and they just focused on the main quest, which, you know, as the GM, I was a bit disappointed, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? They want to go after the main quest. Let's go after the main quest. And I did that. So let's talk about pushing lore, maybe bending it or really stretching it to its its limits. So it, and this might be the opposite way because I, I feel D&D fifth edition has pushed the lore a little too far for me really drow or dro as some people like to say the dark elves Mm -hmm. they let you play that now they let you just play that as a character walking around top side of the earth no problem i'm like wait a minute but everything i've ever read and i don't read much but everything i've ever read was those are terrible evil awful elves and they're mean and the horrible and they can't be outside in the sun so why is D fifth edition letting people do this i don't like it <laughs> i really don't like it so is it because people were like no that the, the, i want to be this cool dark elf i want to do that i want i want to be dorden here well mm-hmm. only he is like that is what i got he's he's the mary he's, he's a mary sue so only he is like that he's special snowflake <laughs> i think so- that pushes it a little bit on all the established lord D gave me and then D&D 5th edition changed it. And it's like, wait a minute, what happened? So you actually have me at a disadvantage here. I don't know any of <gasps> 5th edition. I've played it a few times. It's dang, I don't like it. So what? whenever you say they just let you play Drow, like in previous editions, they were, there were rules for making Drow characters. So I, I understand that bit. But do you mean like the setting has become more accommodating to them? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yes, like you should be able to just walk around and nobody's got a bat and eye, which I hate to tell you, if I'm at a table with with somebody who's built that, I'm I I just automatically just tell them to their face, you know, I will not trust you 100 percent ever because Mm -hmm. you're a dirty dark elf. So (laughs) do they explain it within the setting? I have not heard. I haven't heard anybody tell me that there's an explanation. Again, it's fifth edition. I'm not reading fifth edition books. I'm reading like lore from older additions mm-hmm. so there could be there could be with the whole you know there could be a mass exodus from the underdark and they've come up and they've adapted mm-hmm. fine but to me that was that's a big that's a big shift in a world to me even then yeah even then if you take real life examples that things like that don't happen mm-hmm. whenever i mean think of i'm not going to get into like real world stuff but think of yeah. any current events or anything Mm -hmm. that's happened in the past few years where there was a mass exodus of people from one place to another Mm -hmm. did the place where they were going to just all of a sudden be like oh okay cool you're here no 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 No. it takes takes generations for a shift to occur oh god yeah (laughs) when it's forced on you like almost immediately it's like that's not right at all if if the fifth edition lore had said a thousand years ago there was a mass exodus and now there's you know i could okay Mm -hmm. okay i can see that so uh, to to kind of get back to the the question at hand, I think the reason why they did that is because players were like, "I want to play Dark Elves," mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the designers of the game were like, "Okay, yeah, similar yes. to it was fan service, really." I I, I feel. Yeah, it used to be that way with races like orcs. Uh, you know that I'm a big orc 
person. You know, they used to be the villainous races of many a fantasy setting, and in many they still are. But now, more recent times, they've become more mainstream and more accepted as normal. You'll still have, like in our Shadowrun game, their stigmas on orcs and trolls and things like that. But by and large, you're allowed to play as one, similar to as you're describing in 5th edition D&D, you're allowed to play as a drow. Does that push the lore too far? It depends on how much you care about it. In your, in your case, I think you're completely justified to be like, no, if you're running a game or if you're playing in a game, mm-hmm. you're completely within your right if you have a drow player to be like, no, this isn't going to work out great for you. As long as everyone's on the same page, yeah. then you're fine. Yeah, and it was, was all in character. I mean, oh, I just yeah, let yeah. them know, hey, you know, my guy's going to be a little, going to be a dick. Yeah, basically. exactly. You know? <laughs> and that, this is this is the problem that comes up when, when you have an established setting and you move it forward, mm-hmm. is that people are going to not be happy with the result no matter what. I'm going to continue to reference Shadowrun because this is what I've been entrenched in for the past two years. When a lot of the new edition books came out, you know, we, we were there at Ground Zero when it was, and I don't think there was much positive feedback on some of the changes that they were making both mechanically and within the setting. So you're always going to have people that are going to be unhappy with the direction that the writers or the publishers are taking Mm -hmm. the setting. But again, it all kind of dials back to it's as important to you as you make it. Mm -hmm. If it's a problem that drow are walking around and acting normal in civilized conversation, then you don't have to deal with it that way. If you're okay with it, that's fine too. Yeah. No, it's your table to me it's your little universe do as you will you could take elements you like you could throw away the ones you don't mm-hmm. but yeah let's not let's not talk about cgi i really try hard not to <laughs> not to bash things but that new book I, with that new info that came out is just uh, it's it took everything me. within my power not to, <laughs> not uh, to be like some people were unhappy with it i won't talk about how unhappy i was <laughs> But some people were unhappy. It's it's a knife to my heart, (laughs) the changes they're making there. But again, see what I mean? The the lore changes, publishers change your lore, and if you aren't happy with it, you know what? You can just go back to a year in the lore that you liked. (laughs) Remember back in 2078? Those are the good old days. I'm just, it's forever 2078 in Shadowrun to me. That's it. Right. So this is, yeah. This is another point that, I think is important for other people to know when it comes to what's a good way to put this without sounding like an asshole. So just sound like an asshole. Just do it. Just say it. Come on. So something to remember is that the, whenever you're a consumer of these products, you as a consumer, you as a fan have a certain degree of ownership over what is put out. You know, you enjoy it, you consume it, you are, the reason why it exists. However, the people who are writing it, they have a degree of ownership as well. So whenever you, are upset about a direction, not you specifically, but anybody, about the direction that a publisher or a writer is taking with their series, you have to remember that they're the ones who are actually creating it, so they have their rights within the setting to do as they will as well. You might not always agree with it, but it is the reality of the situation. It would be like, I mean, you know that I write a ton of stuff, and you know I present it to people, and I get feedback and stuff like that. it has happened in the past where I've had somebody tell me that one of my characters wouldn't behave a certain way, which, you know, it's good to get feedback like that or something. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it's my character. It's my creation. I get to determine how they would react to a certain situation or how they would be. Same with a setting or, you know, whatever. 
the writers are the ones who get to determine what something is now. And again, if that's not something that you agree with, you can go back to 2078 or <laughs> whatever date you'd like to and only deal with that. Or you can come up with your own lore. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. That's that's the magic of RPGs. So I find this interesting, what you've, what you've stated. And I'm not surprised that you're going to take a writer-creator's side on things because you're a writer-creator yourself. And I mean that in, yeah. in a very positive way. Yes, yeah. you, you are a writer-creator. You, you understand what it, what it takes to create something and to put it on paper. And you put your heart and your soul into it. So when somebody says, yeah, no, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's my creation. I'm going to do what I want. But that's different than you writing stuff about your character. When you have a writer creating lore for a system like Shadowrun, D&D, Traveler, or anything like that, Aliens, any mm. RPG, just because that writer creator has this idea and says, oh, I want to do this now, doesn't he? I mean, he doesn't have 100% complete ownership, though. He has... He has the fan base, the consumer who consumes it. Mm. Just because he and his brains thinks, oh, I think this would be a cool arc, doesn't mean everybody will. So isn't there some, shouldn't there be some thought amongst writers of systems when they're producing lore to not just do what they want to do, but do what's best for the system overall? Do what's going to appeal the most commercially. Yes. So to Kind of clarify, I wasn't saying, I wasn't trying to imply that the writer creator has absolute 100% control. Mm -hmm. What I was trying to get at was the fact that it's it's a two-way street. You know, if the fan base doesn't believe that the writers are doing a good job, you know, it, it kind of goes both ways. Like the writers are doing their best, excuse me, we have mm -hmm. to assume that the writers are doing their best <laughs> and they are doing what they believe is the best way forward. Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, the fan base can offer criticisms, can, you know, voice their opinions, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there needs to be that mutual respect between the two sides of, of things. A mm -hmm. good example that I can think of that came up in another form of media was the last season of Game of Thrones was highly controversial. I don't mm -hmm. know if you watched it at all, but suffice it to say, the fan base was very, 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 very upset. I, at whenever I first watched the final episodes of that show, I was a little bit put off by uh, the way they handled it. But at the same time, whenever I took a step back and I looked at it from a creator's point of view, I considered what they had to deal with. I, and again, I've never worked on a TV show like that, but, you know, I've, I've worked on other things. Understanding that, you know, the pressures that they were under, the task at hand, the limitations that they were placed within, all of those things together, it softened my reaction. So while I wasn't happy with the outcome, I understood why they did it. Likewise, with an RPG or something like that, whenever you're looking at something that makes you upset or you don't like or some new direction that they're taking it, understanding the other side of things, the creative side of things and what all goes into that can help you kind of get a better picture of why certain decisions were made. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely not going to call out any new editions of any games uh, no. at all in this. Mm -mm. But having that understanding of the creative side of things can help you understand why a writer may have gone in a certain direction. So to use your drow example again, the reason why they did that, even though it might not make perfect sense to you, is because they had players who wanted to do it. And probably not just a few, probably a ton who wanted to be able to play as, you know, drow in the main setting and, and operate within that. So the creators, and again, this is my assumption, I don't know this for sure, the creators probably heard that, they got that feedback, they took that to mean that the community wanted it a certain way, and so they did it, even though, as you mm -hmm. said, it doesn't make any sense. 
Not to me. And if somebody can make sense to me, please let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to learn. So let's talk about, so you've, you've played more than just Shadowrun. Nate, mm-hmm. I know that. You, you know other systems. You've played other, other games. Who has the best lore, best setting? In your opinion, best lore, best setting. They have to have both, not just one or the other. Oh, man. Um, Oof. I wish I'd known I was going to be asked that question so I could think about it. Oh, you could think, because we have the magic of editing. Nobody Mm. will hear this part. Yeah, (laughs) let let me think about that for a second. I don't, I want to come up with something good. Uh, (laughs) God, the best Uh. Setting the the thing that I want to say is very cliche. What do you want to say? I want to say Tolkien. He has an RPG. His work is the yeah. basis of modern fantasy. So there you go. So there you go. Say it. Tolkien um, did it. Tolkien did it. He made so the lore. He made the setting. So well, is the that question everything's based on? Is the so is the question specifically for RPGs? I had that in mind in systems, but you can just say Tolkien and and say he's he's the one that. This is this is your foundation for every RPG that does fantasy. I don't want basically. to basically make that claim, but he did he did a <laughs> quite a bit. In your he eyes, did. you could say in my eyes, he is the foundation for yeah, everything I, I think, took inspiration from. I think I wanna I think I'd rather do a uh, RPG setting. Okay. All right, let's go with that then. Let me think for a second though. Found editor, cut everything out previously to this until you get to that question. Not everything. Not, <laughs> Not the everything. Not the whole show. There's there's a couple of of ways that I could do this. I think I think I know what I'm gonna say. Okay. All right. So the question was: Is what RPG setting, in my opinion, has the best lore? For that, this should probably come as no surprise to anybody. But I would argue that for the most part, Shadowrun is the setting that I enjoy the most. It has the fantasy elements that I like mixed with the futuristic cyberpunk setting elements that I also quite enjoy. And those two things mixed together really make for a fun and enjoyable setting for me. It's really hard to nail down what like my favorite fictional setting or fictional universe would be. But if we can relegate it to just RPGs and games, then I would say that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, for mm. like my favorite setting in a work of fiction, probably tied for first would be the Lord of the Rings Tolkien setting, as well as the Star Wars universe, specifically the expanded fiction of the Star Wars universe. I really enjoyed the movies, but some of the things that I enjoyed the most about that setting were the times when they took detours into the different parts of the setting where you got to learn more about just the Jedi and, you know, all stuff. The more mundane aspects of that setting are really, really interesting. And I love any time they uh, get into it. That's why I love The Mandalorian. Shameless plug for The Mandalorian. Y'all should all watch it. <laughs> like it needs it. <laughs> so I'm going to go, if, I, if I'm going to answer this question, I'm going to choose an RPG that has the best setting and the best lore all in one. <gasps> All in one. There is an RPG that has all of it, all the elements I love. I have to say aliens. Really? I'm in space. Okay. You have evil corporations. Uh Uh-huh. You have big guns. Yeah. You have scary monsters. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Like it's it's got the horror and it's got the sci-fi and it's got the action and you know, I could be the slimy corporate guy or I can be the marine or I could be the 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 ripply character. I could be a space trucker. <laughs> I mean, this is great, right? 
it's got to me it's got like all the elements now before aliens came out i would have i would have begrudgingly said Shadowrun. <laughs> Don't, don't don't do any favors or anything. Because I love the setting. I love the idea of the dystopian future is great, and and you know the body modifications that people are doing, swapping out body parts for to have advantages. I think that's all great. And I'm a criminal. I, I'm the bad guy. I'm not the stupid hero like in D and I'm the bad guy. Oh God, I love being the bad guy. Right? It's the best. I love it. But I hate the lore. I hate the fiction books. <laughs> I hate it. I love it though. I hate reading those books. They're oh, I just I just can't do it. I own some, and I'm like I open it up and I start reading. I'm like this is I just can't do it. I'm sorry. Some I just put really the book good. aside. I just can't. I haven't found one. I'll so, I'll send you. I'll send yeah. you one too. There's one that I think you would enjoy. I don't know. Maybe have you read Wolf and Raven? No. That one's really good. It okay. starts out very strong with like very very shadowrunny aspects of like a meet with a J, and you know the mm-hmm. J is like exactly what you would think they are. And this is just like within the very first few pages, and like the second or third chapter, there's this really really amazing depiction of a Decker doing a hack on a host and the entire thing is framed as if she is playing baseball. Yeah. But, and again, this is just within like the first few pages. I'm not going to get into what happens in the rest of the book because I think that I, I feel like I'm I'm willing to take gamble on this. If you read the first few pages, you'd probably be hooked. No, I'm not going to say that every book that's ever been written fiction wise for Shadowrun is terrible. I'm going to say the ones I've read have and have turned me off to ever wanting to read. It might be the fact that, though, I don't know which ones you've been given, but they might have been those Mary Sue-like characters, like, you know, I know. getting nothing but dritz. Oh, uh, yes. Which he's not a bad Mary character. He's, he's not a bad character. But, he's not a know. bad character, but he's he's a very much a special snowflake. And uh, and when we ha- when I have my episode, my episode on snowflakes, the blizzard episode... <laughs> <laughs> Where we're going to talk about this weird move, shift toward wanting to build the super special snowflake. We're going to talk about, we'll talk about, is it, is it, is it, is it Dorden's fault? Because I'll lay the, fe- I'll lay the blame at his feet. Yeah. I, I wonder I, if, if that's what, but no, that's a whole nother episode. Stop it, Nate. <laughs> the blizzard have, episode is later. <laughs> I have to, I have to stop myself and I have to question myself sometimes because the character that I spent the most time writing, I have to always constantly be like, okay, am I making her a Mary Sue? Is mm. she a special snowflake? I the specialist. She, well, so yeah. I have to, I know this is a derailment, but I have to constantly remind myself, like, remember the humanity, keep it there, keep it grounded, remember the humanity, what we <laughs> know. Yeah. Just that constant keeping it grounded has become increasingly difficult with some of the wackiness that uh, has transpired. Transpired? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to segue into a whole nother episode. So we're going to end this one now. (laughs) Nice. Any final, any final thoughts, anything that we didn't cover that you wish that you wish Jupiter did her job on and actually asked? No, no, I think this was fantastic. (laughs) I actually had a very difficult time coming up things to reply to. I think, uh, extremely thorough and i was possibly a little bit less prepared than i no I you were I'd. great thank you no, um i wonderful. would i would close out to say that since this entire episode's topic was the importance of lore i believe that the importance of lore is as important as you would like for it to be i will say though that whether you're working with an established setting or if you're making
making up your own. Whether you want to or not, you are going to create lore, and that lore is going to become a thing within your setting. So at least paying attention to it, understanding it, and playing by the rules that you've either taken from another setting or the rules that you've created yourself is always going to be important to some degree, whether you want it to be or not. Very good final thought. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and doing this with me, and I'm sure we'll have you on future episode probably to talk about your snowflake since you have one i mean, you're telling me it sounds like you might have one uh, on your hands if i'm it trying gets a little very colder. hard i'm trying very hard to keep her out of the snowflake territory. i will say this i was recruited to play a game in the living community this might be one games that i play this season but <laughs> whatever we were deciding on characters i was like uh val i can't remember what i said i said like val is an infill sam with an identity crisis and 19 children uh, <laughs> well that's it, that's do have litters <laughs> she has a lot uh, <laughs> all right well thank you again and that's it for this episode of out of character thank you everyone and we will see you in two weeks